Okay, so Jerry Boykin, a retired Army general and former Delta Force commander, says the current state of military readiness in our country is a grave threat to national security. He points out that the military has missed recruiting goals by more than 25,000 troops over the last two years. This has given the U.S. its smallest fighting force since the early days of World War II. Quote, we're doing things that have nothing to do with preparing for war. We're not attracting young men and women across America because we're offering them nothing but bullying and a woke agenda training. Would you want to go into a military that does not train you for war, that does not give you anything to make you feel like somebody who can go out on that battlefield and be victorious? The decline is impacting special forces units and not just the general rank and file. And what he's saying there, I was summarizing up, we're not setting our young people up for success. We're setting them up for failure. Well, we're in the army of the Lord. We're, Lord. we're in a spiritual battle. And we want to be set up for success in prayer. Now, if you are new to us today, then we're in a sermon series on prayer. It's called Sync Up. It's like you sync up your phone to the cloud. Or like music helps you to be in sync with a dance partner. So prayer syncs us up with God. And there will be several sermons in the series, but we started last Sunday just dealing with the why. Why every person needs to have a vital prayer life. I, and I talked about ten reasons. Kinesis, mojo, rewards, peace, power, healing, growth, intercession, church, and connection. Those are the 10 reasons. Somebody asked me for those this morning on the way in. said, look, send me an email, and I'll send you the manuscript, because these sermons are written in manuscript. Steve at VeroChristian.com. If you ever want anything out of the sermon, just send me an email, and I will send you the manuscript. So, but last week, we started with the reasons why. Today, we start to get into a little bit of how, the how. And I know a lot of people here have a prayer life. You got a great prayer life, Wonderful. Maybe you'll hear something in this series that will take it to the next level. That will add a new dimension to your prayer life. But there's a lot of folks that struggle in this area. So today we're starting with a little bit of the how. Next week we'll really get into the weeds on the how. But today, three ways that the Lord sets us up for success in our prayer life focusing on the Lord's Prayer. And that first area is focus. Focus sets us up for success. The disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, right away, before we've asked God for anything, before we've had requests or needs, or give me this or give me that, we've done some important praying, some significant praying, just by hallowing God's name, hallowed means holy by thanking Him, by praising Him, by adoring Him. So we want to recognize that prayer is more than just asking for things. And I'm sure you know that. But some people, they get discouraged in prayer because they asked for something and they, they didn't receive it. Maybe they asked for a financial breakthrough and they're more broke than ever. Or maybe they asked for healing and they're still sick. Or maybe they asked that God would make their spouse easier to get along with. And their spouse is a bigger pain than they ever have been. So they're saying, well, this, this prayer thing doesn't work in that sense. 
Well, I want to say, first of all, I think God does answer those prayers. We just may not perceive it right away. But like we said last week, he goes to work as soon as we start praying. But aside from that, we want to recognize that prayer is more than just asking for things. It's connecting with God. It's that connection. You know, Abraham was a man of prayer, and he asked for God, God for things that he did not receive them. But Abraham was called a friend of God. A friend of God. And when you think about your friends, when your friends come over, you know, are they friends because they're constantly asking for stuff? Do they come over to your house and say, hey, can I have this and can you give me that? Can you work on my gallbladder and fix my spouse? They're friends because we enjoy their company and we're connecting with them. Maybe we have a meal together, even take a vacation together because we're spending time. It's a connection. It's a relationship. That's a lot of what's happening in prayer. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When are we supposed to do that? As soon as we roll out of bed, the earthly things are grabbing at us and they're trying to distract us, starting with our bodies. I wake up. My body hurts. Hurts. I roll out of bed. Now, if there are still kids in the house, the kids want your attention. If you got pets, the dog is barking for you. The cat is meowing for you, right? The phone is calling to us. I have messages over here. Facebook, you need to look at me. The phone is trying to get to us. We drag ourselves into the bathroom. We look in the mirror. Oh my goodness. We pray the first prayer of the day. Good Lord. When are we supposed to set our minds on things above and not on things below? I'm glad you asked. So that's going to take me to the next point here. But the first one is focus is on God. Secondly, frequency. We're talking about how Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he sets us up for success, gives us the right focus. Secondly is frequency. goes on, give us this day our daily bread. As many people have pointed out, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer without praying daily. Daily. So the first thing about frequency is this is going to be a daily thing. We need it to be a daily thing in our lives. Somebody has said the law of process. Now the law of process, the law of process. It's not a biblical law. It's not a spiritual law. It's more of a leadership law. I first heard it from John Maxwell. The law of process says we underestimate the processes in our lives. We overestimate the events. If you want to change your life, now this is from James Clear in Atomic Habits. He says, if you want to change your life, you have to change your day. We want to change our lives, we have to change something in our day. Daily habit, daily routine, practice, ritual, tradition. That's the law of process. Earl Nightingale said, if you spend one hour a day studying any subject, in five years, if you do that one hour a day, in five years, you'll be a subject matter expert. You will be an expert in that subject. Elsewhere, that's called the 10,000-hour rule. That's, that's about what it works out to. That's the power of the law of process. Now, we're talking about frequency in prayer. So it's going to be daily. Now, let's go a little deeper into frequency. So in that daily time, how frequently should we be praying? Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Luke records, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Well, what's the time of prayer? Three in the afternoon. There you go. Now you know. Set your clock for three in the afternoon. That's your time of prayer. No. It is not that simple, is it? Why does Luke 
call this the time of prayer. Well, because as you probably know, Peter and John were Jewish Christians. They were Jewish converts to Christianity. And everybody was in the first 10 years of the church. When you read Acts chapter 1 through chapter 10, all the activities and the Christians we read, read about in there were Jewish converts. And we're no Gentile converts in the first 10 years of the church. Acts 1 through 10. So Peter and John are coming from a Jewish background. Well, the tradition of the Jews was three set times of prayer per day. Nine, 12, and three. Nine in the morning, 12 at noon, three in the afternoon. So this right here is one of the set times of prayer. That's why Peter and John are headed for the, the temple. That's part of their Jewish background. Now understand that this was not commanded, these set times, in the law of Moses. It's not in the scripture. You can't point to thus saith the Lord. It's part of the tradition of the rabbis that had evolved. Having said that, however, there is some scriptural foundation for that. David, King David in the Old Testament, in Psalm 55, 17. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Somebody pointed out to me in the Christmas boxes that people were picking up in the first service. I don't know if we have any left over. The bookmark in there has this verse on it. It's got this verse on it. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Though That's probably a reference to the set times of prayer, three set times of prayer per day. So there's some scriptural basis there. Think of Daniel in the Old Testament. Remember Daniel, he's a prophet, he's got a book named after him in the Old Testament. He's a Jewish exile living in Babylon, but he's maintaining this practice of the Jews. He has three set times of prayer per day. And his enemies in Babylon used that against him. They tried to entrap him by passing a law that you could only pray right to the king and they were going to see what Daniel's going to do. Well, Here's what Daniel did, Daniel 6.10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So this was an unbreakable appointment. This was a non-negotiable for Daniel. And if you know his story, you know that he did get arrested, and that's what he got arrested for, was thrown into the lion's den, and God protected him there in the lion's den. But the point being, if Daniel thought that this was so important that under threat of death, he was going to keep his set times for prayer, morning, noon, and night. If Peter and John had set times for prayer, all the Jewish Christians did. Jesus probably did as well. Maybe it's worth us considering having a set time or times of prayer each day. Now, there is this, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we're, we're supposed to do that as well. A lot of folks do that. Carry on a conversation with the Lord. Conversational prayer throughout the day. Pray continually. As you're driving to work, and carrying on a conversation with God. We're texting while we're driving, and we almost have kill ourselves in an accident. Thank you, Lord. I, I did, you know, so we're thanking God, and we're talking to Him about the various experiences that we have during the day. And some people say, well, that's what I do. That's great. This is not an either-or situation. It's not either conversational prayer or set times of prayer. It's a both-and situation. We want to set time for prayer or set times, and we want to maintain conversational prayer 
throughout the day. This is, so this is what I do. For a long time, I had a set time of prayer in the morning, and that's still where I do the bulk of my praying. But as I became convinced of this, I added two more set times for prayer, one around lunchtime, one in the evening. Those are like booster shots for me. Most of my praying still happens in the morning. That's the bulk of my praying. But I also have a time in the midday, and I have a time in the evening. It is taken for me. I just tell you personally, my prayer life, my walk with the Lord to another level to have three set times of prayer. How long should we be praying? So we're saying daily, and we're saying we should have a set time or times for prayer. What about the duration of that prayer? Jesus asked Peter for an hour. In Matthew 26, 40, then Jesus returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep, and he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? A sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. Anybody know that song? Anybody grow up singing that song like me? Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and all to escape the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. So I've been going to church since I'm six, seven, or eight years old. That, that's the kind of song we sang. We didn't have this great contemporary music that Jack just let us in this morning. That was great, Jack. Great job. We sang the old hymns, right? The old organ. Sweet hour of prayer. I grew up singing that. But I will tell you this. It's a little bit of a confession. I'm a little bit embarrassed about this. But I will tell you. I sang that song for years and years and years before it ever occurred to me to have a sweet hour of prayer. I mean, I, frankly, I sing that song as a hypocrite. I never had a sweet hour of prayer. And I'm talking into my, really in the four or five years, even into the ministry. I've been in the ministry for 40 years now. I didn't spend an hour in prayer. How in the world are you supposed to spend an hour in prayer? I, re, I rewrote that song to reflect my practice in my early years. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. I've never spent an hour in prayer and bids me at my father's throne. No thanks. i got to check my phone. In seasons of distress and grief, self-medicate. That's my relief. I'll fall into the tempter's snare by my neglect, sweet hour of prayer. Mother Teresa said, she said what's the secret of successful spiritual life? She said, spend an hour a day with God and never do anything you know is wrong. Now I know what some people are thinking, Steve, an hour of prayer? I mean, I like that hypothetically, theoretically. How am I supposed to say in an hour in prayer? I say in five minutes. I say everything I know to pray. I don't know what else to say. All right, let me recommend a resource here. This is a book called The Hour That Changes the World by Dick Eastman. Now, this is in our library here at the church, our, but you can get it on, on Amazon real cheap. It's a short book. It's about 130 pages. So it's an easy read. It's a very accessible book. It's a classic, classic book. Johnny Erickson Tata has written the foreword to this one, but this book's been around a while. What he does in here is show you, us, we, how to pray for an hour. He simply identifies 12 different areas in which to pray, like thanksgiving, praise, adoration, intercession. 12 different areas in which to pray. You spend five minutes in each area, it's got this wheel of prayer, and it's been an hour. It's been an hour. So he lays that out. I recommend that to you. Recommend that you get that book. And not only get it, but read it. 
And I think, I think that's a great, great resource. Okay, Steve. I think I'm, I'm leaning in that direction. I can see where it might be helpful to have a set time of prayer, set times of prayer, maybe to spend an hour in prayer. But Steve, where am I going to get an hour in my schedule? You just don't understand how busy I am, Steve. You're paid to pray, Steve. You're paid to read the Bible. You've got all the time in the world. You don't understand how busy I am. All right? I hear you. I will say this. Number one, if you're retired, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. No. You got all the time in the world. I know. I don't want to hear how, oh, I don't know. When I had a job, I don't know how I got everything done because I'm busier now that I'm retired. And Okay, you're busy. Great. Glad. But you got an hour for the rest. Some of the folks here are still working, still have kids in the home. Steve, where am I going to find an hour? Well, let me suggest this. Two or three things here. Number one, play one less hour of Resident Evil Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption per day. <laughs> Number two, binge watch one less episode of your favorite TV series on Hulu or Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime. One less episode per day. Or here's number one, here's the number three. Set the alarm clock one hour earlier per day. Steve, are you kidding me? I mean, you are living in some kind of religious silo. Do you know I'm sleep deprived as it is? I'm so tired. How in the world do you expect me to set my clock, my alarm, one hour earlier? That is impossible. All right. Anybody here know what happens on November 5th, four weeks from now? Time change. Daylight savings. Everybody in here who has a job is going to set their alarm one hour earlier. Than they, and they're going to get up an hour earlier than they did the previous week. They're going to do the impossible. It's going to be a miracle. We can do anything we want to do with our time. There's an hour there to be found. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. You say, Steve, you some kind of Pharisee or legalist. You say we've got to pray every day. We've got to have a set time of prayer, and it's got to be an hour. I'm not saying it has to be an hour. I'm not saying it has to be three times a day. I'm not saying have to, have to. At all. What's that, some kind of magical formula? I'm not saying it's magic. But there is this. For so many of us, this is what we're missing. This is why we're lonely. This is why we're discontent. This is why we're addicted. This is why we're enslaved our hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, and compulsions. This is why we self-medicate and escape through entertainment or through sexual immorality or through drug addiction or through spending or through whatever it may be. We've got this hole. We've got this emptiness. I'm, I'm a Christian. It's not supposed to be this way. This is what we're missing. We have to synchronize with God, you can only do that indirectly through prayer and engagement with the Word. We're not going to find another way to do it. We're not going to invent a new way to do this. 
This is why all the sages of the past and, and the Mother Teresas are teaching us, spend an hour a day with God. Spend an hour a day with God. There's no other ways. So, yeah, it kind of is magic. This is where the magic is. Okay, so we said our focus is on God. We talked a little bit about frequency here and, and a little bit about how to do that. And then we want to finish up with form. We just want to set ourselves up for success with prayer. And Jesus gave us a form in the Lord's Supper. He said, this then is how you should pray. And then he gave us that Lord's Prayer form. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may know that name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was presiding over a wedding ceremony, and he said this to the young couple, today you are young and very much in love, and you think that your love can sustain your marriage, but it can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. No, so, right? So sometimes we have great feelings towards our spouse, and we love them, and we're all into them, and there are other times, married couples, we don't feel nothing. We may feel the exact opposite. And because we're married, we stay together and we pass through that phase until we can get to a better phase and a better place. That's what he's saying. And love and prayer are much the same. There must be a structure. There must be a frame, a tradition, a routine, a ritual. I know ritual has a bad connotation, but it shouldn't. The Lord has handed us that. Ronald Roheiser writes, Prayer is a relationship, a long-term one, and lives by those rules. Nobody can be interesting all the time or sustain high energy or fully invest him or herself all the time. Never travel with anyone who expects you to be interesting, lively, and emotionally invested all the time. Real life doesn't work that way, and neither does prayer. Imagine your aged mother is in a nursing home, and so you've determined you're going to go visit her on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Some people don't have to imagine this. You're going to go visit her on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And sometimes you're looking forward to that and you're into it and you've got the energy and you feel good and you go and you have a great conversation. It's deep, deep and significant. It's meaningful. And you, you come away from that. That was great. But not all the time. Sometimes Thursday rolls around. You don't feel like it at all. You don't have the energy. You're all worn out. You're not looking forward to it. But you've made a commitment. And so you go. And maybe the conversation is not that deep and it's not that significant and it's not that meaningful. And it's rather mundane. And you start checking your watch. Is it too soon to make a graceful exit? And then you leave, but you went. But you went. And it's significant that you're there on Tuesday and Thursday. And what the teachers on prayer tell us is that the one inviolable rule is show up. Show up. Not every prayer experience is going to be a mountaintop experience. Sometimes we're just walking through the form. But we show up, and what's supposed to happen, happens. That's the Lord's Prayer. There are only three primary colors, 26 letters in the alphabet, 10 basic numbers in math, and seven basic notes in the musical scale. But look what Rembrandt did with three colors, Shakespeare did with 26 letters, Einstein did with 10 numbers, and Beethoven did with seven musical notes. Look what Elvis did with three. So the Lord's Prayer is like the ABCs. The Lord's Prayer is like the musical scale. 
Right? It's the basics. It's where we start. It's the foundation. If we just pray the Lord's Prayer, just as it's written in Matthew chapter 6, we prayed a powerful prayer. Just that. But there's a way to expand it out. That it is the framework, it's the scaffolding on which to build out a much bigger, more vital prayer. That's what I'm going to talk about next Sunday. These two sermons are all leading up to next Sunday. This is the penultimate sermon, and next Sunday is the ultimate sermon. I've been waiting to get to next Sunday. I can't wait to preach next Sunday's sermon. But we're here today. So let's make good with today. So let me finish with this. Because next Sunday I'm going to build out that Lord's Prayer. I'm going to show at least how I do that. Remember Jesus teaching on the mountainside and thousands of people came to hear him teach. He's teaching, he's teaching. Gets toward the end of the day, says to the disciples, we need to feed these people. The, the disciples said, how are we going to feed these people? We got this little boy's lunch, two fish, five loaves of bread, think two sardines and five Ritz crackers. How are we going to feed all these people? Jesus took that. He prayed over it. Then he began breaking the bread and the fish and giving it to the disciples. The disciples are disseminating it to the people there. And he keeps doing that. They're coming back. He keeps doing that. And how many men did they feed that day? 5,000? Yeah, 5,000, all of them. And then you add in the, the women and the children, it's ten or 15,000 people. I think of the Lord's Prayer in that way. The Lord's Prayer is small, compact. It's like a spiritual snack or one person's lunch. But when Jesus gets involved, we can build that thing out, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, big enough to feed thousands. Let's close this morning by saying together, the Lord's Prayer. It'll be on the screen. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.